Hey friends, this is Tina Turner. Thanks for tuning in today to the More Precious Than Gold podcast, where we will examine God's Word each episode and find that it is trustworthy, true, and always more precious than gold. Do you ever feel like the world is raging around us? Nations are raging, communities are raging, families are raging. Everything seems to be raging around us right now. Well, in today's episode, we're going to learn why. Why do the nations rage? Psalm 2 answers that question in a most profound way. So go grab your Bible, turn to Psalm 2, and let's study this great psalm together. As usual, let's start by setting the context. Psalm chapter 2 is written by David. However, we don't see that at the beginning of the psalm like we do most psalms in the book of Psalm. In fact, if we want to know who the author is, we have to do a little digging. And Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 26 tells us that David, guided by the Holy Spirit, wrote this psalm for us. It was a coronation psalm written so that each king, when they were coronated in Israel, would have this read before them. But ultimately, it would be pointing to the one true king, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are four points or four stanzas in this poem. And we're going to see that each stanza has a very powerful principle that goes right along with it. So let's read the psalm and then we'll begin unpacking it. Here we go. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage? Many of our translations would also say this. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king. On Zion, my holy mountain, I will proclaim the Lord's decrees. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in just a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So let's look at this first stanza. And the first stanza we have verses 1 through 3. And we see that there's lots of political powers in this first stanza. We're talking about kings and nations and rulers. Why do the nations rage? Why do they conspire? Why do they scheme? Well, just look at the culture of our nation today. Such raging and conspiring and scheming. The people plot or they scheme, this verse says, but they're scheming in vain. All that they're doing to rage is just in vain. All of their efforts are worth nothing. 
But why are they scheming? Why are they raging? Why are the people plotting in vain? They are rising up. They are banding together against the Lord and his anointed. You see, they don't want any rule over themselves. They don't want any authority over them. They want to have the power. They want to have the authority. They will rage and become violent and uncontrollable in their anger. And they will even demand things. Think about some of the things that we hear in our nation today. Phrases like this. No one tells me what to do. I'll have my way. No one tells me what truth is. I will live out my own truth. I will choose my truth. You can choose yours. I have no authority over me. I'm my own boss. Nobody else pays my bills. I am my boss. Don't tell me what to do with my life. Especially don't try to make laws about what I want to do with my life. These are my rights, and I'm governed by my own rights. You know, think about this also. Governments establish all kinds of rules and laws that stand completely against the authority of God. Nations do this. Legislatures do this. And they stand right against the very rules or the very laws that God would have. Yet, they cry, these are our rights. It's our right to make these laws. It's our right to live the way I want. It's my right to be the boss that I want to be. It's more like rebellion against God even than a firm, strong government. The nations rage. The people rage. They rage against the authority of God's word, of God's law, and God's rule. Think about this. Ungodly kings, ungodly rulers, ungodly people all over the world are raging against Almighty God and his authority. In these verses, they even say this. We're going to break off their chains. We're going to throw off their shackles. The world sees the authority of God as chains and shackles, something to tie them down, to hold them back. They would say that God has no right to tell them how to live their life. They would not be bound by what the Bible says when actually refusing God's authority brings about moral confusion. There's no standard for morality. Think about it. Unhealthy sexual desires are wreaking havoc on our culture. Unbiblical views of sex and marriage and gender and family and parenting are running rampant all across our country. Evil becomes stronger and even pervasive in society. And there's corruption everywhere. Think about it, you guys. Corruption everywhere. It's in government. It's in politics. It's in our justice system. It's in medicine. It's in farm. Uh, it's in big pharma. It's in education. It's in banking. It's in finance. It is everywhere. Corruption is everywhere. Scheming everywhere. Conniving everywhere. All leading into incredible chaos. Because everyone is trying to do what is right in their own eyes. They forget what God's standard is, what God's morality is. They just want to do what is right in their own eyes. They are demanding their own way. And the nations rage. This is why the nations rage. There is a battle going on. Who gets to set the standard? Who gets to be the boss? That is the pressure, right? 
So the principle from this first stanza is that disregarding God's authority creates cultural chaos. Every time, everywhere, it doesn't matter what nation you're in, what community you're in, what family you're in, if we disregard God's authority, we are going to have chaos. Don't you see the nations raging around us? Don't you see our own nation, the chaos, chaos in families, chaos in homes, chaos in communities? This is what happens when God is not the authority in our lives. How are we teaching our children this? How are we specifically teaching the next generation that if we don't live under the authority of God, then we will have nothing in our lives but chaos? You see, when they see us live rightly, it becomes a pattern for their lives, and they can more easily see how to live out God's standard. When we do what is right in our own eyes, there is no standard. There is no absolute. There's no moral absolutes. Everything changes with the whim of culture. Consider what Proverbs chapter 3 says, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Make him your goal. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And this will bring health to your bodies and nourishment to your bones. This will bring blessing to your life instead of chaos. We cannot be our own authority. Look, our understanding is incomplete, especially compared to God's understanding. Why would we want to lean on our own understanding that's not complete? That is not as good as God's understanding, who is omniscient and sovereign over all. Our own eyes and our own plans and our own rights, they lead us astray. They're going to lead our families astray and our culture astray and our nation astray. And ultimately, our nation will rage. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Proverbs says. Proverbs 26 goes on to say this, so fools repeat their folly. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for them than a fool. In fact, we have no hope at all, he's saying here. The writer of Proverbs is saying, we have no hope at all when we do what is right in our own eyes. It's just going to create more chaos and more uncertainty in our lives. And then one more verse out of Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns all the people. God's authority and God's rule brings righteousness to a nation, brings righteousness to a home and to a family and to a life. And it really does get rid of the chaos and the rage and the scheming that we find ourselves in sometimes. Where do you get your standard for righteousness? Where is your standard for morality? Where does it come from? Our children, the next generation needs to see that we stand on the principles of God's word and that that is what dictates the morality and the authority and the rule for our lives. And we got to move on. Let's go to the second stanza. 
We're going to see in the second stanza, verses 4 through 6, that Jesus is the king of all kings. Look at verse 4. He's, <clears throat> God is the one enthroned in the heaven, and he laughs. He laughs at the kings of this earth. He is the Lord God Almighty, seated on a heavenly throne, sovereign over all. And he looks at those who are vain in their thinking, plotting against him, and he laughs and scoffs because he, it's almost as he says, who do they think they are? Who do they think they are to stand up against almighty God? One day they will all answer to him. One day they will all be taken down. God is not going to allow unrighteousness and ungodliness to just continue. God's wrath will be poured out, ultimately be poured out upon it. He rebukes them, it says here, and pours out his wrath. He declares, look at verse six. He declares, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Jesus is the king above all other kings. He's coronated. He is put in his place as king by God himself. He alone is the one who is to receive honor and glory and praise in our allegiance. Consider what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst. But for that reason, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, the nations rage because they have given their allegiance to the wrong king, the kings and the rulers of this world, even to be king over our own lives. They just don't see Jesus as king. We just don't see Jesus as king. Look, this is the Jesus that came to save sinners. He came to show mercy. He came to display his patience all so that we would believe in him. Also that the nations, every nation on the planet, every nation that receives him as king doesn't have to rage. We could all receive eternal life given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you done this? Do you know the mercy of God? Have you believed him personally for eternal life? The principle in this stanza is that Jesus is the king of all kings. He is eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. And to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Who is the king of your life? You know, it's easy for us to just say, oh, God is the king of our lives. But if we really look at our life, who is the king of our life? Who gets authority? Who gets to rule. And then if we think, you know, I do want God to be my king. I do want Jesus to be the one who truly rules. Does he rule over every part of my life or just the parts I allow him to have? 
when we don't allow God's rule, then we are faced with the chaos and we are faced with the place where we don't know God's mercy and we don't understand his patience. When we come under the rule of King Jesus, we know his patience and his mercy and we know the gift of eternal life. From stanza three, let's see what we find there. This is in verses seven through nine. And the Lord decrees this. This is the Lord's decree. It begins, this is my son. The nations are his inheritance. They belong to him, King Jesus. He is the ruler over all of them because he is the king. Even to the ends of the earth, all of it belongs to Jesus. The Lord declares that Jesus has the power and authority over the nations, that he has the power to crush them like pieces of pottery. The writer of Hebrews quotes this verse, this very verse from Psalm 2, Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him, all things were made, the entire universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. He absolutely, he absolutely displays the glory of God. And he is the exact representation of his being. He is God in the flesh. He represents God to us. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he is superior to all the angels. Verse five, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? I have become your father. Wow. You see, the principle in this stanza has to be that Jesus is the king who rules over all, everything, whether we accept his rule or not. This is why the nations rage. They want to rule themselves. The same with us, guys. We can't just pawn it off on someone else. Our lives rage when we scheme and when we connive and when we stand against the rule and the authority of King Jesus. We need to let him be the ruler of our lives. And then the last stanza, stanza number four, verses 12, excuse me, 10 through 12. If our nation is raging, if our lives are raging, if things around us seem to be absolutely out of control, this is what we need to do. This stanza tells us exactly what we need to do. It says that we need to be wise. We need to be warned. We need to serve the Lord and we need to fear him above all others. We need to celebrate the rule of King Jesus. We need to take refuge in him. So the principle from this stanza is celebrate King Jesus. Celebrate his rule in your life. So what would that look like in our lives if we celebrated the rule of Jesus? We would choose his path for our lives. We would choose what he says for us to do. We would line our, wor- our world and our life up with what God's word says, not with just what we want to do or what we desire to do. We would do what God wants and what God desires for us to do. What would that look like in our homes, 
What would our homes look like today if we every day celebrated the rule of King Jesus? What would we be watching on TV? What would we be reading? How would we be spending our free time? What would our families look like if we allowed King Jesus to rule? If we truly celebrated the rule of King Jesus in our families, what would our marriages look like? What would our parenting look like? It would be a much different place sometimes, wouldn't it? We wouldn't demand the last word. We wouldn't stand on our soapbox and always have to be the one that's right. We would give and we would love and we would be at peace. We would understand joy and we would understand the patience of God and be willing to give that patience of God to others. What would our communities look like? What would our schools look like? What would our schools look like if we celebrated the rule of King Jesus? How would that look different than the schools that our kids are going to today? How would our nation be different if our nation celebrated the rule of King Jesus? Look, we would have peace and grace and no more rage. It matters. Our choice of who rules our lives matter. And if we don't take this as a warning and we don't understand what God is saying here, we are going to have a life of chaos. We are going to have families full of chaos. We're going to have communities full of chaos. We're going to have nations full of chaos. And the nations will rage. Why do the nations rage? Because they do not celebrate the rule of King Jesus. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, we just want to bow down before King Jesus. We want to celebrate his rule in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting. Lord, we want to have you be the ruler of all that is around us, all that is in us, all that we touch, Lord, we want you to be the one who rules. Father, I do want to take the time to pray for our nation and our communities. Lord, we need your rule. Lord, we need you to come and to rule over us in such a way that the world sees that we can be different because of your rule, that our life is different, that our families are different and our homes are different. That's what this nation needs. It needs people who are willing to celebrate the rule of Jesus in their life every single day. And Lord, I want to pray for families who are full of chaos right now. Lord, I pray that the women listening to this podcast will grab hold of the idea that God wants to rule our marriages and God wants to rule our homes. And when we celebrate Jesus ruling instead of us ruling, then we are going to be in a much different place. Our lives will change when we do this. Our homes will change. Our families will change. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to do that. Help us to understand your rule. Help us to understand what it means to celebrate your rule in our life instead of celebrating just what we want. And Father, I also pray 
for this next generation, that we have influence over children and grandchildren, students that are in our lives. Lord, would you help us to be leaders in such a way that they would see that we celebrate your rule in our life and we would be a model for them. We would show them what it looks like to live a life that is really governed by King Jesus not by ourselves, not by what the world standards are, but by what your word says. Father, help us to do that. It takes courage to stand up and celebrate the rule of Jesus in the culture that we live in today. But that's what the next generation needs. Lord, that's what we need. That's what our homes and our families need. So Lord, I just pray that that is what we would do. We can't do it without you. We totally confess that and beg you to be our helper in this endeavor that allow us to be women of God who celebrate the rule of King Jesus every day in every way. And it's in his high, holy, powerful name that we pray. Amen.